This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. It's good to see you this morning. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at Christian Chapel. If you're a guest, we're thrilled that you are here with us. You're joining us in the, uh, the back half of our summer message series where we're walking through 1 John. 1 John is a letter written by John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of the founders of the church. And he writes this letter to a group of Christians in a church that he had started. But after he had started it, he had had to move away. And he starts to get reports that things are not going well in the church. Um, there are false teachers who are coming in teaching wrong ideas about Jesus, which are leading to some divisions within the church and also to some wrong behaviors in the lives of the believers there. So John writes this letter uh, as a correction, but his form of correction is not to come with a heavy hand and say, you're all wrong, you need to stop and do this. But instead, his form of correction is to say, this is who Jesus is. This is the gospel that you know that was confirmed by the resurrection, given to you by us. This is where you've staked your life, and this is your hope for all of your life. And so we've been walking through that this summer. His big idea in, in this letter is that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And that's God's plan for our lives as well, that we would live fully in his light, not content to kind of bounce back and forth between light and dark, not content to try to carve out a space in the shadow lands in between where we have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of what we want, but to live fully and completely all of the time in the light and the life of Christ. And in that light, we find absolute joy, absolute freedom, meaning, significance, the life we were created for. This morning, we are in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. And John's going to talk to us in this passage this morning about how everything in life is spiritual, that there are spirits at work in our world that either lead us towards Christ or pull us away from Christ. So if you have your Bible, you can read along with me. If not, it's going to be here on the screens for you. John writes, starting in chapter 4, verse 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever acknowledges God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Now, John begins with a statement there that for his original audience would have been very easy to understand. We might have to do a little more work. He says, uh, dear friends, test the spirits. Right? For John's church that he planted, they were spiritual people. They lived with an understanding that there was a spiritual dimension to life. Now, for us in the, the culture in which we live, the time in which we live, there is a tendency to think that we are no longer as spiritual as people have been throughout history or as people are in other parts of the world today. 
in, in America, especially as you kind of rise through economic classes, levels of education, uh, just different stratas of society, there seems to be an expectation that the more successful you are, the less spiritual you are. And, in, and while that may be true in terms of people's willingness to talk about it, it is not at all true in terms of what we actually believe about life. In April of this year, April 2018, the Pew Research Center surveyed American adults. What they found is currently, as of April of this year, 90% of American adults believe in some form of higher power. 80% of adults in the United States believe that this higher power, this spiritual force, has somehow intervened to protect them at some point in their life. Unless you think that, well, that's, that's fine, but you know, I'm a, I'm a younger adult and, and my generation is kind of growing out of that. They specifically surveyed 18 to 29 year olds and found that among them, 80% believe there is some type of spiritual force, something beyond us. It points to this idea that we, uh, for some reason, want to deny in our society, and yet we know it's true, that there is more to life than what we can see and touch and taste. Right? There, there's just a dimension to us that is spiritual. And because we are spiritual people, it makes the world a spiritual place. And what the scriptures teach us is that, yes, you are spiritual people. And yes, the world is a spiritual place because all of this has been created by the Spirit of God. Right? In, in Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in the human heart. That he has hardwired us with this desire for something more than what we have right now. This is why if you, if you have honest conversations with people who have achieved a lot in life, whether they have uh, climbed the ranks of work and have finally got that top position, they started their own business and achieved it, maybe they're collectors of experiences and they have been everywhere and done everything and seen it all, and yet if you'll have a really honest conversation with them, no matter how much stuff they have, no matter how many experiences they accumulate, no matter how meaningful their relationships might be, there is always something missing. There's always this desire for more. There's always a, a, a hope that there has to be more than what I see and what I hear and what I can touch and what I can feel. And what John is reminding us of is the, the larger teaching of scriptures is absolutely there's more. You were made by the Spirit of God. You were made body, mind, and spirit, and your whole being will never be satisfied for as long as you try to ignore or move away from the spiritual side of your life. John then goes on to teach us as well, though, that simply embracing the spiritual is not the answer because there are two directions that those spirits and, and spiritual experiences can lead you. They will either lead you toward Christ or they will lead you away from Christ. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The idea that, that all spirituality is good spirituality is very prevalent in our culture. This kind of you'll hear it all the time that you do your truth, I'll do my truth, and, and eventually we'll all kind of wind up in the same place. But what John is trying to make abundantly clear to us is no, there there are spiritual forces at work in the world. But he's basically saying it's another way of his uh, God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Of there's the spirit of Christ. 
And then there's every other spirit. There are the teachings, the philosophies, the religions that are built on Christ. And there is everything else that's built on anything else. And so he's trying to help us understand, yes, you are spiritual people, but not every spiritual thing is going to result in your ultimate good. And and so it's why as followers of Jesus, we not only embrace the spiritual aspect of our being, but we also want to be sure we are discerning the spiritual influences that are coming our way. Everybody is going to engage in spirit-empowered speech and spirit-empowered actions. The only question is, which spirit will empower your speech and which spirit will empower your actions? We're all going to have spiritual experiences. The only question is, is it a spiritual experience designed and given from Christ for his glory, or is it something given by spirits of the world, spirits of the Antichrist, John calls them, to lead us away from Jesus? You don't get to be spiritually neutral, right? There are no neutral spirits. There are no neutral spiritual experiences. John is saying everything is going to lead us either towards Jesus or away from him. And then he gives us a very simple test to help us understand how we can discern or tell the difference between a a spiritual experience that comes from Christ and a spiritual experience or spiritual truths that are leading us away from Christ. He says in verse two, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. And so so John tells us just really simply, if you want to understand, it's, it's very simple. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So every spiritual experience... Every new teaching, every new philosophy, every new idea that you hear in the world or even that you hear in church, right? John's primary concern is that false prophets are coming into the church and they are leading people away from the truth about Jesus. And so he's telling these young believers and he's telling us, if you want to be able to test the spirits, here's the test. Do they affirm Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? And there he's, he's doing a couple things that I think are important for us and, and very relevant to our current kind of cultural approaches to Jesus. The first is he starts with this idea of Jesus Christ, elevating both his humanity and his divinity, right? Any teaching, any philosophy, any religion that denies the reality of the historical Christ or denies the divinity of Christ must be rejected. These are spirits that will lead you away from him. These are experiences, teachings, uh, philosophies, religions that will lead you away. And then he kind of drills down on these. He says, anything that that teaches Jesus has come. Now, now in that phrasing, John's making a distinction between us and Jesus. You and I were born. Jesus has come. And he's reminding us that the arrival of Jesus in the world is part of God's eternal plan for creation and for all of humanity. And so what that means for us is any teaching that tries to strip away the divinity of Jesus, the, the God-given uh, 
salvific assignment that Jesus has. Anything that says Jesus is good, but he's not up here. He's more down here with all the other teachers, with all the other founders of the religions of the world, with every other good example and role model. Anything that tries to bring him down to our level must be rejected because those experiences, those teachings, those ideas are going to lead you away from Christ. So we, we reject anything that rejects the divinity of Christ. And, and then the last thing he says is that Jesus has come in the flesh. So he's elevating the divinity of Jesus as a test for spiritual experiences. He's also elevating the humanity of Jesus as a test for spiritual experiences. And, and for us, we can maybe understand why divinity matters because yes, Jesus really does need to be God, but doesn't matter that he's actually human. And this is where John is saying it absolutely does. The, the, the core of the gospel is that God acts in a unique way in Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man. And it's the, the combination of his humanity and his divinity that allows him to offer himself as a sacrifice, that allows him to be more than a role model, that allows him to offer forgiveness of all of our sins because he was tempted in every way as we are yet was without sin. It's his humanity combined with his divinity that makes his death on the cross effective for us because he's not a God who can't identify with us, but instead he comes as we are so that we can be made like him. The divinity of Christ is what gives him his power, his might, his strength. The humanity of Christ is what makes those things accessible to us. And so again, any religious idea, any teaching, any philosophy that, well, maybe Jesus came, but he wasn't fully human. Maybe he just kind of took on the form of a man, but wasn't actually a man. Maybe when he died on the cross, the spirit of Christ left him and the man Jesus died. John is saying, all of these and more must be rejected. The spirit of Christ will always lead you in a ways that affirm his divinity and that affirm his humanity. Because it's as those two things work hand in hand that he is able to be our savior, our king, and our Lord as God intended for us. Now, these are um, some pretty deep theological truths that can easily feel like they are kind of out here and it's hard to apply them. You know, I, I doubt that many of us wake up each morning and think, I wonder if the humanity of Christ will be attacked in any of my conversations today. Probably not, right? You're, you're not uh, waking up in the morning ready to defend his divinity to your classmates, your coworkers, or your neighbors. And yet, what happens to us is throughout the week, we are bombarded by these other spirits that John talks about. He calls them the spirits of the Antichrist, which you have heard will come and is in fact already here. And these are spirits, we, we talked about this earlier this summer, it's not necessarily kind of the end times antichrist, the one man, one woman who rises up that we think of, but instead what it is, is spirits that are against Christ. Spirits that lead us away from him. Now the, the humanity and the divinity of Jesus remind us that he is completely separate and other than, that he comes from beyond us, he is 
comes like us, but now because he has lived in both realms, he offers a new way of existence for us, and he has the power and authority to require that of us. But all week long, you're going to be bombarded by ideas that say Jesus was just another man. He doesn't know exactly how you feel. His, his work that you hear about at church, it works for some people, but it doesn't work for you. He was a good role model. Try your best, but if you mess up, it's not a big deal. And we're bombarded by these lies. And so one of the the primary ways that we remember this idea of spirits lead us in two directions is by doing what we're doing this morning. Gathering together for for corporate worship, for worshiping God together as a community. And when you read the scriptures on your own, you are being reminded of these truths. When you pray on your own, you're being reminded of these truths. When you worship on your own, you're being reminded of these truths. But there is something unique and powerful about us coming together and singing the truth of who God is and what God does. Of praying together the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Of listening together to the scriptures being read and preached. Of responding together to what the Spirit is doing in our hearts and in our lives. Corporate worship is designed by God to be a regular experience in the life of every believer. Because when you regularly worship God with others, you will more easily see the deceptive ideas, teachings, philosophies, and religions for what they are. But if you abandon worship of God with others, you will more easily fall into the temptations that Jesus isn't really who he said he was and doesn't really require what the scriptures say that he requires from us. And so John is trying to help us understand there are two ways that we can go. And for the, for us as followers of Jesus, that question really shouldn't hold any fear. It shouldn't be something that prevents us from following God, prevents us from engaging in spiritual life. John tells us our victory over every spiritual attack is secured by the Spirit of Jesus in us. He says in verse 4, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And so, so maybe you react to this idea of everything is spiritual, And we're spiritual people. We live in a spiritual world. There are spirits at work, the spirit of Christ leading us in light and truth, spirits of the Antichrist, of lies and falsehood trying to pull us away. And maybe that causes fear. Maybe it causes intimidation. Maybe it causes uncertainty. And if that's the case, your response can be, I'm just going to pull back then. I'm just, maybe I'm just not a spiritual person. Maybe I'm just not wired that way. Maybe I'm not smart enough to understand these things. Maybe I'm not disciplined enough to live in this life that Jesus has called me to. And so maybe I'll just pull back. And if I pull back, I'll probably disappoint Jesus. But maybe then these, these false spirits will leave me alone as well. We want to live in that, that neutral space. But what John is finishing with here, he's, he's describing the realities of life. That yes, there are spirits and spiritual things happening all the time. And the spirit of Christ will lead you into light and life. And the spirits of the Antichrist of lies and falsehood will lead you into darkness, destruction, and death. But for those who follow Christ, they have no fear in the spiritual world. And they have no fear, he says, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
What he's telling us is the same thing Paul tells us in Romans 8. Paul says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. And so when you think of every spiritual attack you've ever faced, when you think of every difficult season you've ever walked through, what Paul and what John are both telling us is Jesus is bigger and Jesus is stronger, right? Greater is the one who's in you than the one who's in the world. It means everything you face in life, Jesus has faced something bigger. He's the one who comes, fully God, fully man, is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet is without sin, lays down his life for us, lays dead in a tomb, and the same spirit that raises him from the dead now lives in you. And so with this reality, I mean, I I know your problems seem big. I know my problems at times seem difficult. But what John is telling us is the one who lives in you is greater than the things you're facing. He was dead and now he is alive. He was brought to life by the power of the spirit of God and that spirit now dwells in you. It means your victory is secure because of what Jesus has done. It does not mean that the spiritual attacks will stop. It doesn't mean that you'll never know a difficult moment or season again in life. But it means we stand with absolute confidence knowing that no matter what may come our way, no matter how good or bad life may be, we are rooted in our identity as the sons and the daughters of God. And we are living in his victory because the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. Martin Luther, one of the the founder of the Protestant Reformation, wrote a hymn that that we've sang many times at Christian Chapel called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he he basically expounds on 1 John 4, 4 in verse 3 of that uh, that, uh, hymn when he says, Though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. It's, it's one of those things that, that even when we sing it, we just kind of sing right through it and don't pay attention to the depth of what is being said. The same way that we read through John 4, 4, of greater is the one who's in you than the one who's in the world. And we just plow right on through to the next verse, not stopping to consider what is actually being declared. And now, now we pretty easily can identify with that first part, though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. You've had that experience. Maybe you're in the middle of that experience this morning. Man, hard times are coming, difficult seasons. It seems like it's just one hit after another, after another. It's physical, it's financial, it's emotional, it's relational, right? It's, it's all of these unforeseen things at work or at school or in your family that you don't have control over. And yet it seems like every day you wake up, it's just another form of bad news, another unintended consequence of a choice that you made. And it feels not only as if the world is against you, but as if the devil himself is out to get you. And, and Luther, one of the, the, the great men in the history of the church says, I know, It feels at times like the world is full of devils and they threaten to undo us. They threaten to destroy. They threaten to tear away everything we've built, everything that Christ has built in us. 
And this morning you think of your own issues and you think of your own situations and you think of the things that feel as if they are undoing you and undoing God's work in you. But those, those last two lines, we will not fear. For God has willed his truth to triumph through us. Right? And, and again, it's not we will not fear. For God might, God could, God will. But God has willed. He has declared. He has said, this is my plan. When John writes, greater is the one who's in you than the one who's in the world, it's not a statement of what might be or could be, but of what is. Whatever you're facing now, Jesus is greater. And his truth, the truth of Christ, will triumph in your life. John tells us, if you go back to John 16, his gospel, where he writes the story of Jesus. He says that after Jesus uh, uh, leaves, that he will send the Spirit who will guide us into all truth. And so when we come to this idea, greater is the one, the one in you is greater than the one who is in the world. This is a, a statement of God's eternal truth to us. It means that whatever you are facing right now, Jesus is greater. And as you read through the scriptures from the first page to the last page, this is the, the resounding theme you see again and again and again. Jesus is greater. And yet, for many of us, we live like that's a lie. Because we hear it and we think, yes, Jesus is greater. But he's not greater than my sin. But he's not greater than my addiction. But he's not greater than what has been done to me. Jesus, his victory is final. His victory is secure. And yet I am exempt from it. Because his forgiveness cannot possibly cover over the horrible things I've done. Because if Jesus was greater, then why did those things happen to me in the first place? If Jesus was greater, why have I hurt? Why have I suffered? If Jesus is greater, why does it seem as if there's a lid on all of my prayers? And so we begin to live in a way where we say that may be true out there, but it's not true in here. And when we make that deal in our mind, we do not change this truth. But instead, we choose to create this little false reality where our problems are bigger than Jesus. Where we flip that verse on its head and begin to live like the, the, the things that I'm dealing with are greater than Jesus. And what John is telling us is, look, the, the best way you can guard against false spiritual experiences, against false teachings, against the lies of the enemy is by constantly letting the Spirit of God lift your eyes and lift your heart up to see him for who he is. You don't have to keep fighting the same spiritual battles every day of your life for all of your life. Jesus brings victory. God has willed that his truth will triumph in your life. The one in you 
is greater than the one that's in the world. And so over every addiction, over every lust, over every behavior, over every relationship, over every poor choice, over every uncertain future, over every, everything you've done in the past, everything you're engaged in right now, the message of the gospel is clear. Jesus is greater. He has come, he is coming, and he will come. And the only thing that exempts you from that promise is if you willfully choose to step outside of it and create your own reality where your problems are bigger than Jesus. But what John's reminding us of is there is tremendous hope, tremendous encouragement when you begin to see Jesus for who he is. Everything is spiritual. And everything in your life has a spiritual element to it. And when you surrender to the Spirit of Christ... He will bring hope, he will bring healing, he will bring freedom and salvation. He will shine his light into your darkness in a way that brings life, not destruction. In a way that brings hope, not discouragement. So if you've never made that decision to say yes to Jesus, to let him become the Lord, the Savior of your life, you can begin to live that way this morning. Or maybe you have said yes to Jesus and yet there's this little corner of your heart where you're still not sure this is true. Jesus is greater, but you still don't actually believe he can heal your marriage. Jesus is greater, but you haven't fully embraced that that covers your depression. Jesus is greater, even when you're sick. Jesus is greater, even when you're broke. Jesus is greater, even when you've promised him a thousand times you'll never do it again, and you do it again. His grace was not extended to you because of what you've done. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. And so your inability to set yourself free is not going to cause him to move away from you this morning. But it's as you acknowledge the darkness, as you acknowledge your inability, that Jesus is able to come and go to work and bring true and lasting freedom to you. And so my encouragement to you this morning is let the Spirit of Christ flow into the deepest corners of your heart and your life. Let his healing wash over your body, your mind, and your spirit. Let his restoration flow through every relationship, through everything that is broken, that's hurt, that's destroyed. Let his healing run deeper. Let his forgiveness run deeper. Receive him. Jesus is greater. If you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us and give us a chance to respond to what the Lord is saying to us today. Lord, we come to you this morning as people in need of in need of your power to be let loose in our lives. Lord, I pray for those who have never made a decision to surrender their lives to you. In this moment, Lord, may your spirit begin to show them that everything in their life is spiritual. That every experience, every every place that they've been, every person they've been interacting with has been leading them to this moment in this place at this time. 
Jesus, we pray that you would reveal yourself to that person as their savior and their king today. And they would surrender their lives to you, understanding that you are the greatest one who brings them the forgiveness, the healing, and the salvation that they have not found anywhere else. Lord, I pray for those who are here today who have heard this passage of scripture a hundred or a thousand times. They can quote that the one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world, and yet they live like it's not true. They make exemptions and exclusions for their own sins and their own struggles. Holy Spirit, we ask today that you would bring the power of Christ to the darkest corners of our heart to those areas that we've never told anyone about and we've held on to for years or decades. Jesus, come. Spirit of Christ, come and bring us to life. Shine your light into every corner to bring life, not destruction, to bring forgiveness and healing and restoration. Jesus, we need you. Help us to hear the voice of your spirit and to respond to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.